Welcome back to the MCU Exchange Podcast. We've got another jam-packed show for you today. We're going to talk about Amy Pascal and Spider-Man again, the Scorpion and his appearance in Silver and Black, and does it connect to Homecoming? We've got Rotten Tomato scores for Spider-Man, the return of one-shots, an Ant-Man scoop, the return of Blade, and a whole bunch more. We'll also talk through our favorite TV shows of the MCU one season at a time, and number six this week is going to disappoint a few of you. Finally, our main discussion will be the Inhumans. Will it be terrible? Terrible or will it be terrible? No, we'll try to give it a little more chance than that. We'll talk all of that stuff, plus your usual speculation and news. Stick around for the MCU Exchange podcast. This week on the podcast, we have with us uh, Adam, as usual, but Rhiannon could not make it. And so we've got Ryan with us, which is always a pleasure. He's going to be here this week and then going to be here next week to help us talk about Spider-Man Homecoming, because that is just right around the corner. Uh, Speaking of, we're going to go ahead and jump into our news, and we're going to talk about Spider-Man. And unfortunately, what we have to start with is Amy Pascal, Kevin Feige, and the unending saga of where Venom fits into the MCU, as well as Silver and Black. So, um... Guys, I don't know where you stand on this. This thing has been really complicated and confusing. Um, The latest news that I think I've seen um, is probably uh, from a site called Fandom. Let me read it to you real quick, and then let me get your responses. First, Amy Pascal said, There is Spider-Man happily in the place where he's supposed to be, which is in the Marvel Universe. I think everything comes from that. This is the signpost, the tentpole, the signature, and the other movies that Sony's going to make in their relationship to this MCU Spider-Man take place in this separate Sony world. Although you're not going to see them in the Marvel Universe, it's in the same reality. To which Kevin Feige said, that's the perfect answer. Uh, Ryan, what are you thinking? Where are we at now as far as how these movies are going to relate? Oh, man. Um, I mean, okay, so from what it sounds like, uh, it sounds like Amy Pascal really just wants to, to have, you know, the, the, the benefits of being in the MCU while being able to do their own thing over at Sony. So the way that I see it is that Kevin Feige is going to kind of, you know, accept certain parts of, you know, the Sony Spider-Verse, if you will. Um, if it's good, you know, and kind of sort of have that saying that that exists in the same universe is almost kind of retconning it into the MCU. While it sounds like uh, Amy Pascal and Sony kind of just claim the MCU side of things. So it sounds like Sony's really getting the better end of that deal. Um, but it sounds like Feige's loosely accepting what Sony's doing until they do something really bad. So if they screw up Venom or Silver and Black, you know, in any particular way, I don't think that Kevin Feige is going to be as quick to, to claim that and probably won't make as many comments about it being in the same universe, but we'll, we'll just have to see. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm kind of at the point where if I see like Venom or Pascal or uh, any Sony stuff in a headline, I just don't bother reading it because, you know, it's just the quotes that are always offered are all sorts of mystic and things like that. Besides, I mean, Feige flat out said no, um, you know, to Venom being in the MCU. Um, but then other quotes surface where he's not as definitive, you know? So, um, I guess time will tell. That's kind of where I was coming from too. 
Yeah, I think it's I think he's going to be very uh slow to comment on anything if Sony doesn't kind of jive with the 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 tones that they've already established in the MCU. Yeah, I think the thing that really is going to be a problem here is just the nature of the relationship between Spider-Man and Venom. We've talked about how it's weird to have a Venom movie without Spider-Man in it. And the thing that they seem to really disagree on is if Tom Holland is going to be in these movies or not. Feige seems to say, no, there's not going to be any Tom Holland in this. And Pascal seems to be like, well, you know, we might see Tom in these. We'll never know. And that's where it really is going to break down. Like this universe will feel the same if Tom is in them both, but it will not feel the same if we've not got Tom in it. And, you know, I don't even know what these Venom movies are if there's no Spider-Man. So that's really, I think, a key kind of piece to all of this. And I think that's that's definitely something that they're going to have to address at some point because, you know, like I said before, you know, you can't have a Venom movie and it be the same character from the comics without that direct connection to Spider-Man. Um, because if you if Sony were to somehow try to reimagine Venom's origin in any sense, they would really be pulling kind of a Baron Zemo in Civil War and just using the name, but completely redefining the character that I don't think, and I don't think a lot of fans would respond well to that because he's such a, uh, a pivotal character in Spider-Man's mythos as well as he's really loved by the fans. He's a fan favorite. So I think uh, it's, it's one of those things that we're just going to have to see how they decide to work around that. Cause you can't really do a Venom film without Spider-Man plain and simple. And the thing that's going to make all of this uh, even more sharp is the fact that we have heard here at MCU Exchange that there is definitely going to be a Mac Gargan slash uh, Scorpion character in Silver and Black. And the real question right now is, is that going to be the same actor as we know in Homecoming is Gargan? Uh, apparently he doesn't appear as Scorpion here, but they're setting sort of the table for a bunch of these villains. And if it's the same actor, it's going to feel connected. And if it's not the same actor, it's going to feel really separate. And maybe it's a smaller thing than the Tom Holland thing, but I think it's going to be the first thing that we really have as a big sign. If Silver and Black starts filming relatively soon and we see that the same actor is in the cast, that's important. That's a big deal. And it's going to really change how this whole thing looks. Man, I don't know. As, as, as a massive Spider-Man fan, what I would like to see is Spider-Man's universe, you know, the characters. I mean, because like we said last time I was on, I mean, he's got such a rich rogues gallery and a rich uh just set of characters in in his corner of the marvel universe um that i would love to see that and that was one of my main things that i want to see in homecoming um i want to see them kind of like plant the seeds for different villains and show how those villains can kind of come to be in it in you know in the right pacing uh without having too many villains crammed into one movie so i think it could work in in establishing some of these villains uh and some of these characters without having them be like a big bad in a Spidey movie. Um, but I've always kind of thought that Spider-Man was more suited for like an episodic kind of a series uh, because it's just easier to establish villains like that. But it does, yeah, it does make her, it will make her break this whole connection to the, to the Sony-verse because, I mean, like it or not, if Gargan is in both of those, that like you said, that will be a level of connectivity you cannot overlook. Um, and the MCU is just going to have to to absorb, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly of Sony as well as the good parts. Because I'm not going to say they're all; it's all going to be all bad. 
but they will definitely have to take the good and the bad out of that and just kind of own it, and we'll, we'll have to see what happens. Uh, continuing along the Spider-Man vein, uh, we're also starting to get the Rotten Tomato scores, and they're looking pretty good. Uh, so far, the movie's running at about 92% on Rotten Tomatoes out of about 80 reviews. Uh, these are not the end of the reviews. It's not even certified fresh yet because I don't think there's quite enough reviews. But so far, uh, things are looking pretty good. Uh, Adam, I know that you were a little skeptical of this movie coming in. Are these reviews making you a little more interested? Yeah, um, they are making me excited. Um, I, really, I mean, I've, I've even seen a couple of them that said, you know, that it's it's the best Spider-Man movie. So I'm more excited than I am. Unfortunately, uh, my schedule is completely full Thursday and Friday, so I won't be able to see it till Saturday. Um, but yeah, I'm excited for it. Uh, I'm trying to I'm trying to to manage my uh, my expectations at this point and kind of curb my enthusiasm. To be honest, I haven't had anything spoiled for me, but it, I'm kind of I'm trying to avoid what I did with Age of Ultron because when Avengers: Age of Ultron came out, um, I was just like, oh my gosh, this is like the sequel to the Avengers. This has to be like ten times better. And in my opinion, it wasn't. Um, and then so I kind of came out of it disappointed, and I had to take a step back and then watch it again before I could like fully enjoy it. So I'm just trying to really rein in. Uh, <laughs> I'm really trying to rein in my my expectations here, uh, but it looks it looks fantastic. I think I'm gonna have a, a great time. Some of the better news that I've heard is that despite all of these Sony trailers that we thought was gonna ruin the movie, uh, I've heard a lot of people say that there's actually still a lot of surprises left, and I think that's really good. And I'm excited that I don't already know everything that's happening. Yeah, yeah, I- I've heard. <clears throat> that a lot of the uh, the really good stuff is the kind of stuff in between what you saw in the trailers, and that's what really makes the movie great. And I think that's really cool because I think at the at the core of all superhero movies, that should be true. That the that the the filler parts in the middle, where you like actually deal with the characters and the human side of the characters, um, should should carry your movie. Because you know if you're gonna if you're gonna base your entire film on you know how cool your action sequences are then that's not going to make for a for a quality film. I mean, it they're they're fun to watch, but you you need to hinge on your your characters and how they develop and how they interact. So, I'm encouraged. All right, the next piece of news we've got is uh we have a return of the one-shots it sounds like. Uh Tom Holland was saying he would love to see a Spider-Man and Ant-Man one-shot, and uh he said that he's heard a rumor that these are starting back up. Uh, he did his usual thing where he was like, oh, Kevin Feige's going to kill me because I just said something I'm not supposed to. Uh, are you guys excited about one shots returning? Definitely uh, definitely a funny thing happened on the way to Thor's hammer um, for me. I think that was the, the, the I think that was, that's Coulson at his peak. Uh, so I always thought that one was kind of funny. Honestly, um, Agent Carter was a good, uh, the one shot was, was pretty good as well. Um, you know, you kind of be hard pressed to find a, a one shot that I didn't like. Um, I, I I like Adam, so I think it's it's really cool because it's an opportunity for for world building, uh, or maybe certain characters meeting that wouldn't normally have met. Like in All Hail the King, you had uh, Justin Hammer meet Trevor Slattery, uh, in in prison, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, so yeah. I'm excited. Uh, I definitely think it would be cool. It would be really cool if, uh, like Tom Holland said, you know, the idea of having like an Ant-Man Spider-Man team up and just kind of doing that with different characters, especially with 
the fact that like with Infinity War and the Untitled Avengers Four filming at the same time, well, not the same time, but right after, um, you have a lot of those people in the same place at the same time, which means that you could potentially, you know, film one shots with characters that wouldn't normally have met, uh, and have them, you know, interact because like, you know, Ben Kingsley, I from what I understand, didn't do All Hail the King. Or pay. I think he just came and did it because he had a good time. Um, and so I think that'd be really cool to see certain characters interact uh, like that. It's almost like the Super Bowl commercial where uh, Ant-Man was like, took a Coke from Hulk. You know, just a little stuff like that. That could be fun. Yeah, I think the, the most interesting thing to me is what the financial model on these is as far as like, uh, I don't think, uh, you know, DVD extras used to matter to really boost like Blu-ray sales and stuff. But as people kind of buy that stuff less and as it's on Netflix now, I just I don't know if they've eroded that market. And so I don't know what these costs and like what the value is for them. Um, but I think people really like them, too. So it'd be interesting to me. I could almost see them cutting a deal with Netflix where Netflix kind of helps subsidize doing it uh, so that we could see more of it. Uh, I know I've been watching Clone Wars uh, with my daughter and I had never watched that show before. It's a cartoon that kind of extends Star Wars between episode two and three. And there's so many like little meetings and little backstories that they can get into and ways that they can fill out the world that I've kind of been sold on this idea of like animation that kind of fills out the movie universe. And I think one shots does that as well. And I think you're right. That it would be cool to see these people together. I'd love to see Ant-Man and Falcon do anything together, you know, just to kind of extend that relationship from, from the first uh, Ant-Man movie. So, uh, yeah, I think it's really great. If these are coming back, I think everybody will enjoy them a lot. Um, some other news things real quick. We'll, uh, kind of go through these. Uh, let's do this as kind of a, let's do kind of a grab bag here. I will list a couple of news stories and then you can tell me if there's anything you think on the rest of these. Uh, speaking of Ant-Man, Way um, had a little bit of a scoop on the site this week that um, there was some talk about some female characters that are being added to uh, the Ant-Man sequel, Ant-Man and the Wasp. And uh, both of them, one of them was a uh, love interest for um, Michael Pena's character. And the other one seemed like maybe a villainous character of some kind. Uh, the exact description that we got uh, for this, uh, it's the role played by Hannah John Kamen. And uh, the way it was described, though the exact nature of Dawn's role was not revealed, she is described as charismatic, eccentric, unpredictable, and damaged. So uh, it's kind of cool that we're getting some of this info uh, and filling out the cast. I think it makes sense since it's Ant-Man and the Wasp that we might get a few more female characters in the movie. I think that would be, that would be wise. Uh, there's a possibility that blade could come back. Kevin Feige was saying that he would like to see blade return to the MCU. That property obviously belongs to Marvel again. Now uh, we found out there's going to be a defenders panel at hall H for those who are lucky enough to make it to San Diego comic-con uh, Luke cage and Dr. Strange both won some Saturn awards recently. And uh, Kevin Feige has had to, Uh, Not Kevin Feige. James Gunn has had to shoot down a rumor that there would be a Howard the Duck movie. Uh, To be fair, that rumor may have been started. uh, I was listening to the Weekly Planet podcast, 
and they have a new feature where people send them random emails and they figure out if it's real or a lie. And so half of the time there's scoops and half the time it's complete baloney. And it sounds like this one's baloney. So, uh, you guys, any of those new stories interest you at all or anything that pops out to you? Say what the Howard the Duck one relieves me. Um, <laughs> that's one of those things where I think, um, it's like, it's like an office reboot. A bunch of people are like, we want the office to come back. You don't really want the office to come back because it's not going to be the same and you're not going to like it. Same thing with Howard the Duck, right? Because, like, it was cool to see him in, in both Guardians movies. Um, funny story, when I was <laughs> when I was in Guardians, I, I went twice, I think, within opening weekend. And the first time, uh, the first time when he shows up in the post credit scene, uh, it, it ended, you know, he Cosmo was licking uh the collector and then Howard the Duck pans over and he goes, Gross, you let him lick you like that? Then it cut and then this looks like this guy in his mid twenties just stands up in the middle of the theater and goes, Howard the Duck and then fist pumps and then sits down. And I think I think that's the most Howard the Duck that people actually want to see. They just think it would be funny to see more when it would actually be a complete train wreck, in my opinion. Yeah, do you guys know the uh the story about Disney and Howard the Duck? Apparently, um, when they first started making Howard the Duck, Disney sued Marvel because they said it was too similar to Donald Duck. And so every time they drew him, uh, Marvel had to like send a copy of the comic over to Disney to get them to approve it, that it didn't look too much like, like Donald. And so like, if you look at comics that have like Howard drawn like really terribly and he doesn't really look much like a duck. That's because Disney was sitting there approving and being like, no, that looks too good. You need to make it junkier. You know, like you just can't look that much like a duck. And so Disney had the right to like veto any pictures of Howard the Duck for like most of his existence. So I think that's finally fixed up now. So, yeah, that's probably uh, he's chopping on a cigar more often than not. Huh? That's hilarious. All right, guys, I think that does it for our news. So we're going to move on to a feature we've been doing where we count down the MCU TV shows. And I believe we're up to number six out of 11. And I teased this last week. We are finally to a Netflix show. And so the Netflix show we're at this week at number six in our rankings is Luke Cage. That's right. Not Iron Fist, but Luke Cage comes at number six on our list. Um, from Rhiannon and Adam and I's rankings. Um, a lot of people really love this show and a lot of people don't love it as much. Uh, I think this might be higher ranked if we had been able to break it in half seasons for like the first half of season one and the second. Um, Adam, I know, you know, you were part of this ranking process. What was your thoughts on Luke Cage as you tried to rank it, uh, particularly compared to the other Netflix shows? Uh, I, I really, really, really enjoyed uh, Luke Cage. Um, you know, the first half, uh, the first good chunk of it, I, I really did like. Um, but as soon as Cottonmouth left the show, you know, I just thought it got very stale. Um, and it's... Comparing it to another show, I suppose if we, if we compared it to Iron Fist... Um, you know they're they're pretty much opposites uh, in a sense. You know Luke Cage the the first half of the season it, it moves pretty well um, and it's fairly good. Whereas the second half of the season you know is is really slow. 
Um, you know, and I, I guess just personally for me, you know, I, I'd rather watch something that's a slow burn at the beginning, um, than a slow burn at the end, you know, it just, it doesn't feed my appetite. I suppose you could say if something dies off, um, especially for, for a third and or so. Ryan, what are your thoughts? Looking back, what did you, uh, what you enjoy about, um, Luke Cage, uh, and that show and how it unfolded? Well, um, it's been a while. I haven't, I haven't gone back and watched it a second time, but I did definitely enjoy, um, seeing kind of a new side of New York. It seems like every, uh, every Defenders series that we get shows you like a different side of New York and kind of gives you a sense of scope and scale for the city that I think just seeing it, you know, in maybe something like the Avengers doesn't give you. Um, and I, I thought it was cool seeing the, the Harlem aspect overall. I enjoyed the show. Um, it wasn't my favorite Netflix entry that Marvel has clocked in thus far, but, um, I do agree. It was a slow burn, but some of the, the development, um, especially for, oh, yeah, for go Luke <laughs> was, was really enjoyable for me to watch. I loved his relationship with pop um unfortunately you know i'm sure is are we are we past the spoiler warning okay great because <laughs> like I, unfortunately we didn't get to see that you know but from what like two or three episodes before before pop you know died off so um i i think he needed that that big push to kind of assume his role as a hero so it made sense but i just enjoyed it um and i definitely liked watching uh you know ali's cotton mouth uh but unfortunately again you know i feel like those two characters were gone too soon um it did have a massive kind of shift in you know towards the towards the end when uh, when diamondback shows up they hinted at him a lot but then when he finally kind of steps on the scene it was a really big shift i thought in the momentum of the season which is kind of unfortunate but um that and my only other thing is i think the Netflix shows need to kind of knock it off with the uh, the whole trope of, you know, the hero gets really messed up and injured and then is, like, out for, like, two or three episodes because <laughs> um, that happened again. But overall, I definitely enjoyed it. Um, I, I'm, I'm loving uh, Mike Coulter's portrayal of Cage. Um, it's definitely different than I was expecting it would be, but uh, it's it's definitely welcome, and I'm excited to see him interact with uh, with Iron Fist in uh, in defenders yeah when i look back on it i think um my biggest problem with the show and i think i did personally rank it above iron fist but i, I know they're they're somewhat close for me um my biggest problem with luke cage is um and i worried about this if you look back at the previews i think i did the trailer breakdown for luke cage is like my first article on the website and my biggest concern with luke was always that there's no vulnerability to the character. I mean, that's, that's kind of his thing is that he's bulletproof. His skin doesn't break, but it always struck me as a problem for developing him as a character that we never really felt like he's really in danger. We never really feel like he's going to be defeated because, you know, by this point we'd already seen him like in a building that blew up and walk out literally, you know, unscathed. And then later, you know, Jessica Jones like shoots him in the head with a shotgun and he just gets a concussion and a headache, you know, like, and so I just don't know how you develop a character and make people really worry about that character's health when that happens. 
And it seems to me you need a villain that has the intelligence to try to poison him or try to drown him or, you know, like something that like hits at one of his vulnerabilities. And, um, I just don't feel like we ever really got there. Um, and I think that's a problem of the show. It also makes his, his fight scenes to me are the worst. I think that Luke Cage's fight scenes are the worst ones in all of the Netflix shows. I mean, there's just pure power and that looks kind of cool. But after you do that once or twice, him walking down a hallway with bullets, like bouncing off him is not exciting to me anymore. You know, like, oh yeah, he won't get shot. There's only so many ways you can throw a dude against a wall. Right. (laughs) So, you know, (laughs) and he never had to learn martial arts, right? Like there's like Luke Cage as a character doesn't have to be able to do what Murdoch can do. Because he doesn't have to. He just flicks people on the forehead. It's the same reason I don't like Spider or Superman movies, to be honest. is like, there's just, uh, your character has to have some sort of vulnerability. And I never saw that with Luke. And so, or physically anyway. And so I just think that was a downfall of the show. And it made it very samey. And it also is why the villains were so challenging. I loved Cottonmouth as a character. But I never felt like he was really a threat to Cage. Like, when Cottonmouth and Luke Cage are in the same room, the only thing that's stopping Luke Cage from snapping his neck is his own sense of decency, right? Cottonmouth is not going to do a thing to him. And so I got why they went to Diamondback to try to up the physical presence, but then you had a villain who was stupid, you know? We need somebody who has (laughs) got some kind of physical danger to Luke, but also is smart enough to defeat him. And that's just the part that never worked to me. I'm really glad you like straight up called him stupid because I was trying to like, I was like, surely I'm not the only person who feels like this, but I kept trying to come up with a way to like justify that character. But I, after watching it, it's just like, no, he's, it's just stupid. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And you know, I think it'll be interesting to see how Mariah develops as a villain out of the back end of that. Um, I mean, we should take a moment to talk though on the positive side I mean, Luke Cage does a lot of interesting things, but like one of the things that makes that show really stick out and is interesting is that it does come from a different perspective than a lot of these other shows. Um, I don't know. As I watched that show, it was very obvious to me that this was written by people that come from a different background than I do, that have lived a different life than I do. And um, I appreciated seeing that and feeling how different it was. Um, kind of reminded me how probably my African-American friends feel watching TV that's made by white suburban people, you know, right? Like, oh, this is how they feel all the time watching TV, that it's made by people who are different than they are, with different values that they than they have, or different experiences that they grew up in. And I think it was really awesome to see that, and I'm glad that that's kind of continuing. Does that make any sense? Do you see what, like... How did you feel about kind of the unique tone to the show as a whole? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I agree fully with you. You know, my background over the past couple of years um, has been in arena football. So, I mean, uh, with all the players and, and things I have on Facebook, you know, I mean, these are guys that haven't even watched any Marvel properties now. Um, and then, I mean, it's, it's a time in society where... You, that particular demographic probably needed a bulletproof black man. You know, I mean, that's kind of the whole theme of the show, you know, walking around with the, with the hoodie and, and not being able to get shot, you know, it's, 
it just introduced a new I mean it was very timely um you know I liked it in terms of I mean another positive I don't think I had an issue with any of the the cast members you know I mean the whole cast was great I mean Coulter's good uh I did. I thought Alfre Woodard was perfect, and then I watched uh, the Get Down, and Fat Annie on the Get Down is darn near uh, Black Mariah pulled straight from the comics. She's more gangster than Alfre Woodard's. What do you call it? A crookedness, I suppose. Uh, but I mean, my or uh, uh, Cottonmouth uh, was excellent. Uh, the probably the only cast member I really didn't like uh I mean Diamondback just seemed very out of place <laughs> you know so it I mean it, it, was, it was good I've watched it twice now I think um I just didn't like it as much as the other seasons I suppose oh yeah when you talk about casting uh, I particularly liked Misty Knight I thought Simone Missick did an awesome job of kind of bringing that character to light uh, whenever I've read her in the comics, she always felt, I don't know, just kind of like a, um, uh, I don't know, it seemed a bit stereotypical to me, you know, it was like the 1970s black woman, black exploitation kind of character, and so I felt like Simone Missick really brought her out in a very uh, powerful way, and uh, it was kind of interesting to see the way that that show subverted certain tropes, but also kind of played into them, so... So we're going to move into our main conversation, and what we're going to talk about this week is Inhumans. So the first trailer for Inhumans came out, and we really just want to hit this head-on. There's been a lot of talk about this show. There's been a lot of negative talk about this show, and we've tried to... We've dealt with it some different ways here on the website and also on our podcast. Uh, There's been times that we've, you know curse Scott Buck's existence there's been other times we've been trying to be positive and we always said let's wait till we actually see footage well we have footage now we have a trailer and so we thought this would be a good week as any to kind of delve into what we're thinking about this show and what's happening with this new property over ABC um so in the spirit of Rhiannon because this is what she would want us to do if she was here with us on the call today uh Let's try to start with the positive. Uh, based on the trailer this week and the poster this week, what are you guys excited about when you get ready when you're looking at Inhumans coming up this fall? Uh, I, I think it's unanimous. I mean, Lockjaw is pretty cool. <laughs> you know, that's uh, that was pretty good. I was excited to see uh, Gorgon had hooves. That was another plus. I, I suppose if you could count that as a positive. Um, yeah, uh, Ryan, you can go. I mean, I'm not sure how, how in depth I want to get in. I mean, it, it didn't look, yeah, someone else can go. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, definitely like, and that's, that's a, a discussion. I mean, Lockjaw has been a hot topic of discussion for the other, uh, my co-writers, uh, at the MCU exchange as well. We were talking about. Um, the way they were handling like the teleportation effects and, and how we've seen different characters teleport and um, I think the general consensus is one that he looks pretty good. Um, obviously it's not perfect but you know even with the IMAX element added in you have to we have to like keep in mind that this is like a TV show and it will be a TV show. So I think Lockjaw looks great. Um, 
and we were talking about the teleportation and how it kind of looks a little campier, but we were thinking that that's kind of an intentional choice on behalf of, of the showrunner and, and the the production designer in that, like, if it's going to be a teleporting dog that's, like, six foot tall, then just embrace it. And I think the the way he teleports is, is pretty campy, but it's a good callback to the to the original comics. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing seeing him i hope he's a i hope he's a breakout character and a fan favorite uh in in the tv show as well as the comic all right so i'm gonna play the role of apologist here here's some things i saw in the trailer that i liked um first of all i think karnak looks pretty decent he has a couple of lines in here and i think he's gonna be a pretty good version of this character uh, i think the actor they selected and ken lung i think he's totally capable of playing sort of the cynic that Karnak can be. I think he can play with the arrogance that Karnak's supposed to have. Um, every time we've seen him fighting, either in the leaked clips or these clips, it doesn't it doesn't look bad. I mean, we haven't seen a lot, but it seems like they have that character fit in pretty well where he needs to be. Uh, I thought Gorgon looked pretty good as well. There's like this overhead shot where he stomps the hoof and kind of does the earthquake thing. And I thought that looked pretty decent. I thought it had uh, a decent look to it. Um, Crystal looks perfectly cast. We haven't seen her powers at all. But she doesn't really use her powers much in the early days of the Inhumans comics. So generally speaking, I feel like a lot of the not major characters are looking alright. It looks like the Royals as a whole they're doing okay with. Obviously, Medusa and Black Bolt are the concern, and I have not talked about those, but these other ones look okay to me. Uh, I did love a moment in the trailer where Maximus is coming with his men and their guns to approach Black Bolt, and he very sort of arrogantly says, what are you going to do, blast me away with your voice? That was great. That was and great. you see Anson Mount start to like separate his lips a little bit, and there's this moment of sheer terror on Maximus's face, right? Like, oh my gosh, he actually might kill me. And I like that. I think that's a good dynamic. I think that's the dynamic you need where Maximus is pushing and pushing and pushing. And then all of a sudden he realizes, oh no, my brother's actually taking me serious this time. And so um, I like that dynamic. And I just think generally the story makes a lot of sense. If we're going to start with Inhumans that are on the moon to begin with, um, the idea that Maximus thinks they should leave and come to Earth and Black Bolt is saying that's not right, that's not wise. I think that makes a lot of sense, and I think there could be some pretty good drama out of it. So those those are my positives. Am I overly rose-colored in these glasses, guys, or do you, do those things sound okay to you? I'm let Adam take the point on this one. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I really liked... It wasn't... Maximus wasn't who I thought he was going to be, um, but I still didn't mind the uh, the speaking roles he got. You know, I mean, it's the I don't want to say it's a the the plot they're laying out's kind of you know, cliche of so the whole going behind the back and coup type stuff. Um, yeah, I think uh, I agreed with most of what you said there. So, all right, we tried to talk about the positive. Let's talk about the negatives. What uh, what about this trailer still keeps you nervous about what's going on here? Maybe it's just the, the film nerd in me, but um, I thought the, the way several of those shots were, were kind of arranged, just it didn't, it didn't look great to me. The way the shots were composed, 
um, and the overall quality, I think I might have been on that bandwagon where I'm, th- where you know, I heard IMAX. The first two episodes are going to be in IMAX, and it's going to be, uh, for, well, first one or two episodes, I don't really remember, but they're going to be in IMAX, and I was like, oh, this is going to add like a sense of spectacle and scale, and the way it's shot doesn't. I mean, obviously, you can't have an IMAX experience like while watching a trailer on a laptop, but at the same time. Like, there was nothing in those trailers to give me a really big sense of scope and a sense of scale. Um, especially for Attilan, I mean, the, the the city, like, it just, you just see little glimpses of what look like sound stages, you know? And, and I know I deal in production a lot, so I'm, I'm going to notice more than some may that this looks like a sound stage. But it's, it just, to me, it just doesn't look great. The quality doesn't match the, the kind of spectacle that I would expect in like a in a in a show filmed with IMAX cameras. And I think the city should be a big set piece. I mean that should be it's it's obviously it's not Asgard, but it should be unlike anything we've seen and it should be represented as like a, a massive city to give us a sense of like how powerful the inhumans can be. And if they came to Earth, what would be the implications of that and would there be tensions of war uh or you know things like that because the Earth would have to see humans as a threat i mean that's why they went to the moon in the first place so that's just that to me was something big that i thought was missing yeah i mean piggybacking off of what ryan just kind of laid out you know just looking through this it's it's kind of making me nervous that it's going to end up um not being what it should be you know i it made this whole thing's kind of made me feel like it's they feel like they're almost forced to make an Inhumans thing. Um, with with the trailer itself, I mean, the biggest problem I probably have, uh, you have Black Bull, who is a king, um, and he's... And Caleb, you know a lot more about his backstory than I do, but he's pretty much taught himself not to make a single sound. Um... And then he's running down the street in Hawaii and gets hit with a nightstick and grunts. And the car goes flying, you know. It just doesn't kind of seem too accurate with who he is in the the comics. And I know you could certainly expand on that. Um, Yeah, I mean, let me just say quickly, I agree with you, but I also feel like I understand why they did it. Like, they... Um, you cannot have someone with the power like he has and never show it. And so they like needed an excuse to like see a glimpse of what he can do. And so I think that was constructed to do that and even give them a trailer moment where they kind of hint at what mm-hmm. he can do. But I agree with you that that's not particularly comic accurate, but uh, there's reasons why they have to do it because they're not using some of the rest of his power set. Anyway, keep going. <laughs> No, yeah, true. Uh, that's completely accurate. You know, it just it didn't it it felt too much like a TV show, which is stupid because that's what it is. You know, that's that's kind of silly for me to say, but it just it didn't feel, I guess, like I wanted it to feel. So it's all it's kind of my fault for having different expectations. You know, um, Karnak, the the few lines he got were great. You know. Um, but yeah, I mean, just from the, the few opening frames, it, it just looked off. 
you know, even the the moon and earth, and it's just like, uh, I don't know about this. You know, it gave me kind of a, a bad feeling. Um, yeah, that that the the two shots, Earth and the Moon. I was like, <laughs> where did you get this footage? Because like, it doesn't look like it fits anything tonally. It's like, I don't know. It just looked like they completely pulled that from something else entirely, like a stock footage or something. And I was like. No, I'm not on board. And with then this. um at the other what what's up with Medusa? <laughs> you know, that's kind of my other thing. She didn't have a single word in the trailer, did she? Uh I think it's the, so there's one line that we've so. heard already. Something like do you really want to betray your brother or something like that, but that's it. I mean, that that was the other thing. I mean, I was scrolled through Twitter comment, comments, and uh, what was that one? Someone said, y'all know Medusa's not the mute one, right? Or something like that. I'm like, yeah, what's, you know, I would guess I kind of anticipated she'd almost be the lead character, you know, since since Black Bull can't talk. Um, so I'm just kind of confused on what's going on there. I think, yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I feel like being the closest to Black Bolt, she she would be the one that would be able to kind of expositionally, you know, account for what Black Bolt is thinking or or going through. I mean, I mean, throughout the series, because that that makes sense, being his wife. But I think, I mean, aside from that, I feel like she should have got a couple of money shots too of of her showing showcasing her powers and what she can do. And I'm sure that a lot of that comes from the fact that the CGI is probably not close to being finished. Um, but if if that is the case that the that the that the CGI isn't done, why you know we're like two months out. So I, one, I feel like it should have been finished before now. And two, you know, if it takes a couple of extra weeks to to finish the CG for like one or two good shots to showcase exactly how powerful she is. Why would you not just wait an extra two weeks to, right. to show what she can do? You know, I mean, it doesn't make any sense to me. But Sorinda Swan is not an ugly woman, and Medusa in the comics is not an ugly woman. I mean, she doesn't even necessarily look very good. You know, like I don't know. In the comics, Medusa is always this very, like her presence and her attractiveness is like kind of just there and at the core of what they're doing and costuming wise her costume doesn't even look that good i mean am i off there or does it just like it's just weird like they put her in a purple sack i feel like does does it look off to you guys too i think the costume design period looks off to me i mean i'm not even gonna single out just medusa i mean i think one black bolt looks like he stepped out of a brian singer x-men movie and i'm gonna leave it at that Two, Medusa should look. I agree. She she should have like a. I mean, even if you want to do that style of a dress, that's fine. The color harkens back to the comics and everything like that. But like, this is like a royal family, right? So Black Bolt and Medusa both their costumes from a and because I've I've art I've worked as an art director for a film in a production designer kind of capacity. So I feel like costumes should be reflective of characters and they should speak volumes about a character so that way when you look at a character you get to you you already understand what they're about or kind of a little bit about them without them even saying anything that should be that should be your goal and 
if you were to tell me if I knew nothing about these characters, looking at Black Bolt and Medusa as is, I would have absolutely no clue that they were royalty. So I feel like they their costumes should be far more regal, um, and that's just something that's missing. Yeah, I think the biggest problem I have with all of this stuff is this just frankly does not have the budget in humans has to have. Like when I think about the things that you need to make this this look right, uh, we need exterior shots of Adeline, and it needs to look, um, it needs to look futuristic, and it needs to look scientifically interesting, and it needs to look different. Um, recently, with the Black Panther trailer, we had that moment where they kind of showed us Wakanda for the first time, and your gut instinct is like, "Whoa, that's cool." We need yep. exterior shots like that. Uh, with Black Bolt, part of the way the comics make him look awesome, I talked about not using his full power set earlier. Mm-hmm. You know, his voice is in addition to the way that he flies and the way that he has like these electrons and electricity like flowing off of that tuning fork and just energy crackling in the air that kind of gives him this presence of power and strength. I think because they're taking. He's a king. Right. And they're taking all that away from him. I don't think there's going to be any of this stuff. It's just going to be he's got a powerful voice. There will be nothing about, I'm fearful he's not even going to fly. You know, like, there's no... I can no, guarantee you that. There's just no majesty to him. And in the comics, like, that's the thing. I mean, like, they had the, the benefit of being able to put words with it, but the way Stan Lee and Jack Kirby set that up, they were, like, swooping through the air like a majestic eagle comes Black Bolt, the king of the Inhumans, and you just see this, like, strong presence soaring with, like, crackling electricity off of the head. You know, like, that's so cool, and we're not getting any of that with this character. And that's not Anson Mount's fault to me. It's the money, no, you know, it's no. the special effects. Yeah. I No, I agree. I definitely agree. That's, that's, that should be a given. Um... And I feel the same goes with Medusa. I mean, she she never, I mean, she didn't have as intimidating a presence in that sense because of that. Black Bolt's like power set is just so much beyond any other character in the Inhumans mythos. Um, but I feel like she should have a way bigger sense of gravitas to her anytime she walks into a room as well. Um, and that's I and I don't want to jump on the the Scott Buck hate train. Um, as heavily as some have but I feel like a lot of that when it comes down to it uh, is definitely on the showrunner and I think that it's unfortunate that so far it doesn't appear like we're going to get justice for some of these characters but I'm definitely going to try to hold out hope uh, until we actually see the see the show to, to make a final call on it Yeah, but I agree with what you're saying so far I mean because that's all they've given us so well, what, you know, what do they expect there's so many other elements too like Gorgon, it looks like it looks okay, but you know, that's an effect that they have to put money into. Uh, the, the citizens of Adeline, Adeline should be a place where at any given point you're seeing 25 or 30 different skin colors and hues, right? Like that there's purple people and green and orange and red, you know, and like there's mm-hmm. people that look like reptiles and there's other people that have wings and there's people that look like fairy, you know, like there should be all this weirdness and there's a scene where where Maximus is talking to him and it just looks like, I mean, it's ethnically diverse. They have lots of different, you know, people that look like humans from different parts of the world, 
but there's no special powers. There's no weirdness. You know, this should be like walking into the cantina on, you know, Mos Eisley in Star Wars, right? It should be bizarre everywhere. And in yeah, the end, that's a good... <laughs> I don't even want to blame yes. Scott Buck because I think what I really think is Scott Buck is the guy they bring in to take an under budgeted show and make it look as good as possible. And I think that's my problem with this is this should never have even been a TV show because you cannot do Inhumans right on a TV budget, even with IMAX money. Sorry, Ryan. I think I cut you off. <laughs> no, you're good. No, no, no. I was just going to chime in and say, I agree. Um, yeah, it's, it's one of those things because, and ultimately, you know, in my opinion, certain films or TV shows, it doesn't matter, or any film or TV show, it doesn't matter what kind of a budget you have. If you have a good story with characters that your audiences can identify with and relate to um, and can get invested in and want to spend time with uh, for a two-hour chunk or week after week if it's a show like within humans, then then you succeeded. And at that point, you don't need a massive budget to carry you home um, and, to, and to keep your audiences kind of interested in in the sense that oh this just looks good so for i don't want everyone to think that it's totally lost or that this is going to be like a terrible show just because we don't like certain elements of the first trailer i think if the inhuman story is done right it's incredibly relevant and has been for 40 50 years um and it can be a great show with things that are are different enough where it's a different approach and it's a fresh take on certain social issues. Um, so hopefully, hopefully, you know, there's, there's different parts that we're not seeing and that the, the real meat of this show is going to come in with the character interactions. And hopefully the budget is either not finished or won't matter as much at that point um, for the better, for the betterment of the show. Yeah. As I look at all this, I'm about to say something that'll sound very blasphemous to our readers, but, I'm actually pretty angry at Kevin Feige at this point. Like, no, how dare you? Feige allowed <gasps> this thing to go to Jeff Loeb and like Perlmutter's hands, right? Like at some yeah. point he said, I don't want to make this. You guys can have it on TV side. And as a fan of Inhumans, like I, Kevin, we needed you on our side, man. We needed you to protect this property from the TV people. <laughs> Because we know you're listening, Kevin. Please. Exactly. I know you listen to my show, Kevin, and I'm very disappointed in you, young man. No, I mean, just like, I don't know. If this had been a Marvel, I think as a movie, this could have been incredible. And I just feel like it was doomed for failure the second it was a TV show. Because uh, as I think about it, the TV shows that Marvel does that work really well, work really well because they're doing fight scenes and ninjas and gritty crime street level like the more spectacular a show is the more it needs the budget of a film and that's just kind of where i'm at with this um let me ask you guys this if this show becomes a iron fist part two um or just is not received well if it doesn't rate well is this the end of marvel on abc or is the you know or will they just go back to the drawing board again how are you feeling about ABC as a home for Marvel shows? Um, I don't want to call it the end. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I would guess season five is probably going to be the last of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. 
Um, you know, I think they kind of want to get to that episode and and syndication and all that stuff. But but if you look at other comic TV shows, I mean, Arrow is still going strong, and they'll, they'll have six, I believe, uh, coming up. So maybe I misspoke. Maybe Shields, maybe Shields will still go on ABC. You know, um. That's the thing. Looking at this trailer and um, just just seeing everything that's been said about it, you know, I mean, it's hard to imagine another Inhuman season. Yeah, and that's way too premature. Um, since we have absolutely no idea what it's going to be about, it could be probably the best thing ever. You know, who knows <laughs> until it comes here, but um. I don't think it's the end of of Marvel on ABC. I think I don't want to say it's guaranteed uh, that there will be at least something on there. You know, I would say Marvel TV would probably be more wise focusing on Netflix-based shows. I think they could do really, really well on there. You know, we heard um, uh, you mentioned earlier Blade. You know, Feige was interested in Blade. Now is Feige interested in Blade the character enough that he would make a movie? I would say that'd probably be better set for a, a Netflix type deal. They do Netflix Phase Two of sorts, you know. Um, so yeah, I don't. I mean, you, you hit it the nail on the head, Caleb. You know, Inhumans is not something meant for network television. You know, I was reading. Um, you talked about that shot with all the citizens of Adelan and they were all, they looked human. You know, I was reading, I think volume one, number seven today. Um, and there's this huge, I think it was like a half page panel of, of the citizens of Adelan and not a single person looked human. You know, they either had spikes or fins or, or something like that. And you, you would think they'd be able to do some of that practical effects. Um, but it's it's just not meant for a TV budget, you know. Um, so I don't think it's the end of you know of Inhumans bombs. I don't think it's the end of of Marvel on ABC. You know, there's there's always the opportunity. I mean, just think we still have Cloak and Dagger and New Warriors on uh, Freeform. You know, maybe New Warriors or Cloak and Dagger could get bumped up to the main ABC channel if they do better, you know? Who knows? Um, but I don't think it's the end of um, Marvel TV on ABC. I certainly don't want it to be. I think what it will signify, I, I agree with, with Adam, I don't think it means the end, um, because a lot of people are talking about superhero fatigue, but obviously um, people are, you know, the... <laughs> The people who are talking about superhero fatigue are not the, the majority of people going to see these movies and watching these TV shows. But I do think if it is not received well, it will mean a major retool. Like Adam was saying, if, if that means uh, different, different shows like Cloak and Dagger jumping back to a different channel from Freeform. Uh, or I'm so, yeah, that's Freeform. Yeah, and then maybe with Runaways jumping ship for a, another you know, channel or outlet. I don't know what that means. Um, so we'll have to see, but it's, it's you know, it, it doesn't make sense for, for them to completely stop what they're doing, but it may take some time. They may take some time off to do a major retool. Yeah, I mean, I'm probably pretty pessimistic about it at this point just because of where we're at within humans. I just think the challenge is 
um, to make a good comic book property, you know, you have the, the high spectacle, high budget thing, which Marvel movies are doing, or you have to kind of make it darker and grittier and, you know, more violent, kind of like what Netflix has done. And it just strikes me that ABC can't do either of those things. You know, like as a network, they can't go down the Netflix road as far as the content of the shows and they can't go down the film side because it's just there's no there's no economy that makes that work. You know, TV has got to start getting cheaper, not more expensive. And so I'm just struggling, you know, to think of the property that would be affordable and doable for ABC television that also would sort of tone-wise fit into what network TV has to be. And so, I don't know. I'm just kind of struggling to see what that looks like. And I'm guessing ABC execs will, too, if this doesn't work out for them. So, we will see. It's a tough spot. Yeah, it's a tough spot for sure. Um, but, I, I, you know, we'll have to see. And I, and I hope the best. I mean, just because I didn't enjoy the trailer as much as some, I mean, doesn't mean I want it to, to do poorly, so... Um, I'm sure, and I hope that they will find a way around that and that they'll continue to, to be innovative and, and make relevant TV shows that kind of expand the, uh, the MCU further. So we'll, well see. And I think the other thing we haven't talked about is what the, uh, what the, um, definition of success is on this show for, for ABC. Cause like my definition of success is this lives up to all of my dreams and hopes reading in humans comics for years, right? Like that's what I want it to be. And so obviously I'm not pleased, but I don't know. ABC may be looking at it of like, if we can get decent ratings and if people pay to see it at IMAX and you know, if people walk away and go, Oh, that's about as good or better than the flashes. That's probably enough for ABC, right? Like that's all they need it to be. And so it's kind of hard for me to take my fan expectations and align them with what executives are probably wanting to see at ABC, you know. That's yeah, that's a good point. I mean, that that's what I'm having to do with Spider-Man. I mean, cuz of how massive a fan I am, I'm trying to have to, I'm having to hone my my expectations to make them realistic, and I think that's a lot easier for execs to do. Um but yeah. Yeah, I mean, we see this most... I always think about Fox and the Fantastic Four. You know, like, Fox puts out a Fantastic Four movie, and you're like, guys, what have you done to these characters we love? And I'm sure the execs are like, we're talking about a giant rock and a guy that turns on fire. Like, what do you what do you guys... What's the problem with you people? You have a burning guy. What do you want? Like, that's good enough, isn't it? You know, so... Can I can I say something real fast? Well, since you since you brought up Fantastic Four, I, I didn't. I'm not gonna lie. I wanted to do this. I was gonna say I didn't want to do this, but I I actually do want to bring this up. Personally, I'm not the biggest Inhumans fan on the planet. Um, I know people who love the Inhumans, but for me, I think, you know, ABC tried to bring the Inhumans in with the with Agents of Shield in season two, I believe, and. I'm not necessarily sure that that went over as well as I thought it was going to go. And now, you know, in bringing in the Royal family, I really just want to see them interact with the Fantastic Four and see them being brought into the MCU as a, as a, as a sort of not a side character, but more as, you know, in tandem with the Fantastic Four. And I'd love to see Namor interact with these characters. And because a lot of the key dynamics and the key stories 
for the Inhumans and uh, for like Namor and those kind of characters has to do with the Fantastic Four. So that's something, if in an ideal world, that I would really like to see, but that may just be... No, I can appreciate that. I mean, for me, my favorite Inhumans is Jenkins and Lee back from the early late 90s, where they kind of became their own entity and started this trajectory where they're like substitute X-Men now. But for most of comics history, you're right. They were uh, sub-characters for Fantastic Four, and they kind of played within that world. And so I can appreciate how that just doesn't work as well. Um, they are, uh, I just finished the storyline called Atlantis Rising, which is not on Marvel Unlimited. I had to buy like the trade paperback. But it's this whole storyline about Namor and the Fantastic Four and the Inhumans and Atlantis is kind of pulled up. Uh, Morgan Le Fay is the bad guy and she like brings like at, um, Atlantis up from under the ocean to above the ocean and it's it's great, but it definitely shows how you're right. The Fantastic Four and Namor and the Inhumans all kind of fit together in a way that's kind of important. So I agree. Wishful thinking. That's yeah. I'm not I'm not thinking that's ever gonna happen. I, I don't think Fox is gonna let go of Fantastic Four anytime soon. That sucks. Oh, well. Yeah, if you uh, we haven't covered it uh, because it's not MCU news, but if you didn't see this week, they're talking about a new kid-friendly version with Valeria and Nathan Richards as two of the members of the Fantastic Four and Thing and Human Torch as the others. And it's just... Uh, it looks like a mess. Fox, guys, because I know you're watching, too. Or watching. It's a <laughs> podcast. My gosh. I need a long weekend. <laughs> Fox execs, we know you're listening as well. Just stop. What are you doing? You can't you can't make a Fantastic Four movie with the Fantastic Four. Why is that a good idea? To throw in to throw in Valeria and, and Nathan. Like nobody you know, like if, if the general population is gonna get a bad taste in their mouth of the Fantastic Four, don't go reaching into that <laughs> territory of the Fantastic Four to try to save this. No, you're you're Sorry, absolutely not... right. I mean I mean, I know this is the fa the fanboy thing to say, but look at what's happening with Homecoming. At the very least, we don't hate Sony. Like, we are right now on relatively neutral terms with Sony because they're doing this Venom garbage, but at least they're making Homecoming and they let Marvel take over, and Sony is probably going to cash in a major paycheck next week. You could do that with the Fantastic Four. Yep. That's a possibility. It's open to you. Let Kevin Feige make your movie, just have the humility to admit that you stink at your job, and then make lots of money, you know? Uh, anyway, all right, we're, we're way off of topic now, but... Um, <laughs> we st struck a I mean, this is also a place where... It, it makes me wonder if at some point we're ever going to, like, cut off MCU stuff. Like, if this Inhumans thing really stinks, will there be a day where we're like, you know what, we've decided to decanonize the Inhumans TV show, and we're gonna like make a movie and do it right? I I would kind of be okay with that if it turns out as it looks like it's turning out. So that's that's the thing, man. I mean, it's a it's a it's a good problem to have. I mean, like, cause Star Wars, right? That's the classic example with canonization, you know, and with the, with the Disney buyout, um, you know them scrapping a bunch of the extended universe that that people really loved um i think that that's 
unfortunate for the fans who really enjoyed that aspect of of the Star Wars universe. And and I think like as the MCU continues to grow in scale and scope, um, as like like the Star Wars universe did, you're gonna have problems with this because this is a you know this is a cross platform transmedia you know universe, and you're gonna have continuity problems and things that you wish weren't as subpar as they're going to be. So really it's a good problem. I mean, because if we're really just talking about like an inhuman show, like my dad, you know, who read these comics growing up and introduced me to a lot of these comics, he's just really happy that these things exist. So I think it's really important to keep that in perspective that we get an inhumans TV show at the very least. But you know, I guess these are all good problems to have. If you look at it, in but I mean, ways. this could really change my view on canonicity because so far I've loved that it's all connected and it all counts and it's all part of it, and I've like kind of argued for that. But if this show turns out to be a total stinker, then I'm going to be the first guy to be like, ABC shows aren't canon. You know, they're a subuniverse. You know, Phil Coulson coming back from the dead happened in you know a different world or a different reality or something, you know, like I'll be happy to jettison the ABC stuff so that they can make an Inhumans film that I want them to make, you know? So. Yeah. And I think that I'm glad you brought that up. Cause I mean, I think it's Josh Whedon has made a comment about that as well. Like where he kind of realizes at a certain point down the road that like, Oh, maybe bringing him back from the dead wasn't like the best choice from a narrative standpoint for the movie. So it's like, the movie universe kind of ignores the fact that Coulson's alive. And they're saying that like the characters within the larger MCU don't know that he's still alive, but in a sense, they've kind of cut that off and said to a certain extent that it's that they're, we're kind of just ignoring it. We're not saying that it's not part of it, but that's, that's the seeds of that starting to happen. So it's going to be interesting to see how that pans out. All right. We probably should move on to our mailbag and wrap up this podcast. Uh, just, I'll read through some things real quick that we, uh, we got this week from our readers. Um, Love Waffle talked about season one on the website of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and how uh, he thought it was really dragged down by the um, Winter Soldier crossover. Um, he also interacted some with the conversation about Incredible Hulk. And whether or not it should be added, I think, to the MCU. Uh, he was also talking about adding the Raimi Spider-Man movies. Uh, Wynn Richport said Deadpool would be the easiest to adopt into the MCU because it's so continuity light. Uh, Chris um, kind of interacted some. I thought the Incredible Hulk, or not Incredible Hulk, but Hulk actually doesn't fits in the MCU pretty easy compared to other ones. But he uh, was pointing out some things I think I've forgotten in the years and years since I've seen that movie. And Fanamir jumped in on that conversation. Um, Dave on the website suggested that uh, the contract situation with Hulk and Spider-Man means Hulk is very unlikely to be the Avenger in Spider-Man 2. and um, Or Spider-Man Prom or whatever it's going to be called. Uh, I think that's actually probably right. I had not considered that. But it's one thing for Hulk to be in a MC or a Marvel Studios movie, but it might be a lot of legal red tape to get Hulk in a Sony Spider-Man movie. So that's interesting. Uh, and then uh, Dez on Facebook and Vlad the Impaler on SoundCloud both were saying that Blade the Vampire Hunter would be the easiest movie to adopt into the MCU because Blade kind of does all his stuff in secret and nobody is aware of it. So he'd be easiest to do continuity wise. Uh, Ryan, we talked last week about adding a movie to the MCU. If you could uh, adopt any movie in the MCU, 
that's not an MCU movie, but it's a Marvel movie. Do you have a, do you have one that you would kind of like to see be considered part of the canon? Mm, man. Um, that's an excellent question. Nothing really like strikes me off, off the top of my head. I think anytime, you know, and since we were talking about fantastic four, let's say the, uh, the 2005 fantastic four, like the first fantastic four, was brought in i feel like that could be brought in um the only thing that i feel like would be difficult for that kind of thing is explaining like if we've seen the end like the skyline in the mcu and you've seen like you know you have sanctums and torums in there now but then the avengers tower is really prominent why have we not seen like the baxter building kind of a thing or why do people not know about the fantastic four that could be kind of difficult um to bring in but i feel like if you spun it a different way, not saying that the, that fantastic four movie was like really great. I thought it was cool as a kid, but not saying that it was super great, but it could work. I feel like the fantastic four could still be brought in Fox, please. Thank you. (laughs) Maybe they're uh, the fantastic four is hipsters now. And they're just in Williamsburg, right? (laughs) Instead of the Baxter building being downtown, (laughs) they moved out to Brooklyn so they could have, you know, artisan donuts or whatever. All right. Actually, that sounds like a great Marvel one shot is the thing walking into a Brooklyn donut shop and just being like, what's wrong with you people? Where's the regular donuts? (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) All right. Um, I guess that's it for this week. So it's time to sign off. Guys, feel free to uh, tell folks where they can find you online and any other projects you might want to kind of push. I am on Twitter and Instagram uh, at Adam Barnhart. We always uh, we typically have a few conversations throughout the week, so it's always a good time. You won't if you follow us. Yeah, and I'm on Twitter um, at p underscore Ryan Parker. So feel free to reach out. We can talk Spider Man, or we can talk Fantastic Four, Fox, um, or whatever you want. And Ryan, you've just you've don't got be a uh, you've got a short film that's going through uh, like. Right? Did I see something online that you've got a film that's going making the rounds right now? I do. Um, I was I was fortunate enough to be the uh, art director for a short film called Hey Mister last semester, um, and it's currently making its festival run right now. We wrap production uh, in April, I believe, and uh, we had a screening, and now it's making its runs, and it uh, it should be should hit the web probably in around December ish. Hopefully so. As soon as that becomes available, um, if any of you guys are interested in that, you can see some of my work there. Um, I do a lot of uh, costumes, props, and set deck for for different films, for smaller films. So we can talk about that too. Yeah, so if you have a local film festival near you, uh, look for Hey Mister. So awesome. And I'm on Twitter at Caleb A. Borchers. Uh, I do most of my Marvel stuff on the website. Uh, Well, all my Marvel stuff on the website. And you can talk to me on Twitter as well. Join my dozens of fans uh, who have followed me. So thanks for listening. Literally like 24. Am I only up to 24? Is that right? Are you? I can check. I think I'm up to 30 or 40. I don't know. Uh, I don't send enough stuff out that it really doesn't justify (laughs) even trying. But anyways, um, I've got to start working on that. Like I went to look for uh, press credentials for a Comic-Con and they were like, you need to be on social (laughs) media. And I'm like, oh, crap. You know? So... Anyway, um, 
That does it for this week. Like I said, next week is a big week. Spider-Man Homecoming is coming out in theaters on Thursday night. I think we'll be talking about that most of the time uh, next week when we get together. And uh, looking forward to it. So until then, take care and we'll see you later.